Hi, my name's Mick Gordon, and you're listening to the Sound Architect Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. I am joined by the immense Mick Gordon. Thanks for joining us today, Mick. How are you? Hey, good, man. How are you? You're loving the term immense there, aren't you? <laughs> Did you call me immense? That is like weird. <laughs> oh, I've never had that one before. That's kind of, that's bizarre, man. Well, I try to mix it up a little, you know, come up with some new terminology, you know. Mixing it up. That's, that's, that's good. good job, Sam. So now before we talk about Doom, which obviously we really want to talk about, Let's talk a bit about your history. How did you? How did your journey into music composition begin? Right. So I um I kind of started playing guitar when I was like twelve, right? And um I started playing just you know really really cool sort of blues stuff. Blues really uh, was very attractive to me when I, when I was kind of younger. So I got really into like Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan and a lot of the older sort of blues masters and things like that, and kind of developed from there. Um, after a while, when you start, you know, uh, getting a little bit further in your studies with an instrument, of course, you want to challenge yourself a little bit further. And, um, for me, the greatest, greatest challenge that I could find was jazz and getting oh, really yeah. deep into jazz theory and stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, I had a really, really great guitar teacher at the time and, um, he was really good at, at kind of instilling in me the importance of knowing what you're playing. Um, not just following where your fingers want to fall, but actually knowing what you're actually performing. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, I learned a lot through him. Uh, James Woodward, it was his name and, uh, and he was, he was really, really fabulous. Uh, and then I kind of just, you know, was playing around in bands and things like that. I, I started playing in pubs when I was like 13, 14, so pretty young and, um, yeah, playing a lot of covers and stuff like that and really getting that sort of uh, audience feedback, you know, the joy of kind of standing up in front of people and playing a song that they that they know and getting that feedback. It's really, really quite cool. Um, then as I got older and left school, I, um, you know, needed to kind of, uh, you know, look into sort of different careers and I'm really not good at anything else. I'm, I'm pretty terrible at pretty <laughs> most things, right? Um, and, and I'm not good at music either, but it's the thing that I'm willing to obsess over is the way I kind of say I think say many it, people right? would disagree there, right? Well, well, what I say is that it's, it's like, you know, that sort of thing, it, it comes about through hours and hours and hours and hours of doing it. It really does. So, you know, if you want to get, I guess, good at something, it's, it's finding something that you're willing to obsess over because yeah. it is so difficult. It is really, really, really challenging. There are many, many giant mountains to climb. And, um, you know, if, if you're willing to obsess over something and you find it easy to obsess over it, it's a good sign that you're going to have a, a sort of, sort of uh, I don't know, a good future in that thing, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so I started looking at a bunch of different things. Uh, film was really quite interesting, but I mean, film's been around for you know a long, long time. Film as a medium is almost a hundred years old. Yeah. Uh, well, a hundred years old actually. So, um, whereas for me, it was kind of you know our generation sort of thing, a younger generation. Video games was really an art form that kind of spoke to me. So I started uh, kind of looking into different ways to get into video games. And back then when I was starting out, there was a lot of companies here in Australia that uh, were making video games. And there was literally nobody in Australia doing music at the time. Well, very few people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I just started making demos and things on old uh, early versions of uh, Fruity Loops and Cubase and stuff and um, making music that way and sending it out to different people on CDs. Um, and, you know, eventually, yeah, totally. And then eventually I started getting some callbacks from people, which was really cool. And I uh, started getting some jobs from there. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I started on some, you know, sort of crappy games and things like that that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, <laughs> moved up from there. Ended up, you know, kind of traveling overseas a lot and meeting different people and uh, and sort of working in, in uh, different different sort of networks and stuff like that. And that was cool. 
um, things have progressed from there. So, um, but yeah, my last couple of projects, last three projects were um, Wolfenstein, The New Order, Killer Instinct, and most recently Doom. So yeah, sorry, that was a really long, long description for you. No, not at all. That was great. So I'm quite interested, actually. You say, like, obviously you've spent, like, hours and hours and hours and climbing over certain mountains with regards to music. What would you say was some of the biggest mountains that you had to overcome when getting into writing music for games? Oh, I mean, what's weird about that is the mountains never disappear, right? The mountains are all... <laughs> and it's, it's bizarre, too, because, like, the, the struggles that I have on projects today are literally the same struggles I had 12 years ago. It hasn't really changed that much. Um, there's never enough time to do anything. Um, there's always so many different ideas and people that uh, that have all sorts of different ideas about where they want to take their creative project and things. Um, there's... Uh, uh, all sorts of changes with trends and things like that. People expect certain things. There's great changes in technology that you've got to keep up yeah. with. Uh, so there's a lot of, lot of different mountains that are climbing all the time. But I guess specifically back that back then, 12 years ago, I don't know, like trying to trying to get the stuff that I was hearing in my head to come out the speakers. That's oh, always yeah, a big definitely. That's always a massive challenge. Yeah, and I'm still like it's still a daily struggle. It really is a daily, daily struggle that one. So. Um, but yeah, I remember that one and, um, I don't know, just making contact with people too. I find the game industry is a very insular industry and yeah. games are everywhere, but people know get video games. Obviously it's a really well thing. It's a big, big part of the culture of today, popular culture of today. Um, but video game developers themselves are pretty insular. It's pretty quiet, pretty, uh, uh difficult to get a hold of. So there was a few mountains to climb to actually try to find out how to contact these people and get a hold of them as well. And um, I found the best thing was just, you know, going to meeting people at different events. So you find out if they're having a drinking night and go along and, and meet a couple of people or go to some conventions like a PAX or a, um, a GDC or some of the ones that we had down here in Australia and just meet these people, you know, and that was a good way to kind of make contacts and stuff like that. And a lot of those people from that period, you know, I'm still really, really good friends with today. It's amazing how, how long those, uh, you know, contacts and friendships that you make along the way, they really, really are quite strong. Yeah, and I wanted to ask a bit about that as well, because obviously you're all the way far away in Australia, right? So yes. connecting with people must be one of the most difficult things for you based down there. It's weird. I think like we have this period where we are um, meeting with each other, right? So you might actually, so in my case, I might actually travel overseas and, and go visit a studio in a, um, a different part of the world. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the time I go converge at GDC. GDC is a really good one in, in uh, San Francisco. It's literally where 20,000 developers from all around the world converge on San Francisco for a week. So there's a good opportunity there to um, meet uh, new people and catch up with old people that you haven't seen for a while. Um, and then usually what happens is we discuss a whole bunch of things whenever I'm either in-house and meeting with a developer or at GDC. Uh, and then I disappear back into the studio for 9, 10, 12 months or whatever it might be. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I find that once you've hit that creative page, like once you're, once you're all on the same page, um, a big part of the job, the, the bulk of the job is doing the work. And that's something that you have to do in front of the computer working and working and working and working. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like you have to travel a lot. Is there much going on in terms of game audio in Australia? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's really exploded in the last few years for sure. Uh, where I am down here in Melbourne, there's, um, I mean, meetups once a month where a whole bunch of game audio people get together. Um, obviously, Stefan's down here. Uh, yeah. He runs Sound Librarian and does a, a whole bunch of things with FMOD. FMOD are down here, of course, uh, in Melbourne. FMOD's a, an Australian thing. Um, there's the Kapow guys who uh, obviously did great stuff with um, LA Noir and things. Um, so I mean, there's there's some really really talented cats around for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and let's not forget 2K Australia as well with uh, Borderlands pre sequel. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's um, uh, the real racing crew. Um, you know, and there's a lot of like really great indie stuff that's coming out of these days with like Crossy Road and uh, you know all these all these really really like sort of top selling uh, indie games. There's a lot that come out of Australia, so there's actually quite a lot that happens down here. Yeah, cool. It's probably a lot more going on than I than I expect. Yeah. Well, same again. I guess game developers are insular, right? It's very very inside, so yeah. uh, they're not so forthcoming with where they're from. I guess. So yeah. Awesome. Right. So let's talk Doom, right? I mean, that soundtrack is awesome. It's it's aggressive. It's in your face. It's it's hellish in a good way, you know, and it's it's just what you want when you're tearing apart Knights from Hell. <laughs> so, I mean, I can say for one, it's a very cathartic game to play, you know, when you've had a stressful day and you come home and you've got a bit of Doom to play. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so how did you how did you first get involved in the project? Was it a typical kind of pitch scenario or did they hear some other stuff and go, hey, look, we want Mick? Yeah, so um, that's a that's a good question. So um, obviously, you know, Doom is a really, really well established franchise, right? It's a really, really uh, uh, seminal franchise. Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, so um, I mean, it was it was no secret what they were working on. Put it that way. So when id Software were working on stuff, I mean, everybody pretty much knew that they were working on Doom, right? Yeah. And I was really, really kind of keen to to um, to throw my hat into the ring to say, um, you know, to try and meet the guys and have a chat with them about music and stuff. Um, so we reached out to them and and they were really uh, kind of forthcoming and were interested in, in chatting away and things like that. And at that point, there was really no clear idea about what they wanted to do with music. What was really clear is that they didn't want to do a, a straight tribute to the 90s. Right. Um, but what that would manifest in, we weren't really quite sure. So we started by exploring all sorts of modern electronic music concepts. So really hard work, you know, hard work with uh, synthesizers and uh, sound design type music and stuff like this. Yeah. And that started leading in some kind of interesting, interesting directions. Um, and so, yeah, after a while, you know, we just started uh, throwing some stuff back and forth and struck up a pretty good relationship with the guys. And uh, I went to Dallas for a couple of days and spent two days in the office there. Awesome. Uh, got, to, got to play the game and things, which was really cool. Um, uh, nice and early in the project, which was great. And what was really cool about that period when I went to visit them was that at that point, the game was fun to play. And uh, usually when making a game, it's literally it's not fun to play until like the last two weeks of development. Yeah. And it's it's always a big giant question mark as to whether it's going to be cool or not. Um, whereas Doom, I mean, we sat there playing the game with a group of people and things, and it was fun. It was enjoyable at that time. So that that's always a good sign. Um, so yeah, after that, um, you know, I, I jumped straight back into the studio here, and I continued to work on Doom for about eighteen months, uh, pretty well solid. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's how that kind of came about. Yeah, and as you say, you obviously influenced a bit by the original Doom, but it does kind of steer away from the the old kind of tropes but you can still kind of hear the original theme in there so mm. tell us a bit more about how you how you brought that process to the modern age and used kind of the modern metal approach and modern electronics. yeah approach. sure it's really interesting though i've had this really unique opportunity for the last couple of projects to work on three pretty cool franchises that began in the 90s so yeah. it's Wolfenstein, doom and killer instinct right so i've had some pretty good like practice i guess of taking stuff that was developed in the 90s and trying to find a way to like modernize it, I guess you'd say. Um, with doing that, I'm never a fan of just trying to replicate what was happening. Say I'm not doing like the Stranger Things equivalent of the 80s, which is like a pretty, pretty, uh, it's like holding a mirror up to the 80s, right? Yeah. Whereas I wasn't really keen to do that because the game needs to survive with a modern audience. 
And those games now are 20 years old. So I knew that there would be fathers playing those games with their sons, right, in, in 2016. So yeah. Uh, the sons and daughters that might be playing the games today, they're the ones that need to have some sort of attraction to it. Um, so it, basically what I'm trying to say is that it can't sound like dad's music, right? <laughs> it can't sound like dad's thrash metal tape cassette that he plays in his truck or whatever, right? Nice. It needs to kind of have its, uh, have its own standing today. So with Doom, what's interesting about Doom is that it's obviously it's called Doom, right? But if we just take that word Doom and we put that aside for a second, it's a experience of a uh, individual who wakes up and uh, all hell is broken loose and there's creatures running around everywhere and it's it's a pretty horrible sort of situation. Yeah. So you start with that. You start with treating that in a modern sense. Then once you're kind of happy with 80% of that, you start wrapping around a little bit of the Doom stuff, a little bit of the, the, the stuff from the 90s. For me, that was not so much the kind of groovy tracks that Bobby Prince did, but more the like the ambient creepy tracks, like the start of the imp song and stuff like that. Yeah. They were like, I remember playing those, that game when in, you know, 90, 93, 94. And, um, those tracks, when you'd hit like that second level, third level and things, and that little ambient synth noise, noise would come in that scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> so it's, it's important to kind of bring those elements back. The fact that you want to kind of scare people in a way, right? Um, additionally to that though, as I said too, the modern interpretation of it is, is way more aggressive. It's really up close and, and in, in your face and very upfront. So, uh, I, we worked really hard to try and get sounds that were like really punching through the speakers at you and stuff like that. So, yeah, I know it's a tricky, tricky answer, to, tricky answer to give that one. It's a tricky question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely, like you say, it's a really good blend of metal as well as electronic music and the, the production is really, really tight. It's really good. So what kind of kit did you use to kind of mix it as well as bring the kind of metal side into an electronic phase? Right. It's really quite interesting. When we started, there was not going to be any metal in the game whatsoever. There was not going to be any distorted guitars, nothing whatsoever. It was all going to be electronic music. And I don't know. It was, it was kind of weird. I just, I, it just felt like it needed some every now and then. And we started by like adding 5% in, like what did say 5%. So we'd have all this electronic stuff and then you'd have a guitar come in and go bang, 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 bang. All right, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and then what happened was that people started reacting pretty strongly to those moments. So yeah. we're like, oh, well, maybe we'll try 10% and then maybe 20%. And then, I don't know. I mean, metal-wise, there's probably not that much metal in the game. If you like, it's about five hours of music. I guess if you laid it all out, there's probably still only about 30, 40% metal stuff but certainly the tracks that that resonated with people are definitely those more metal leaning tracks um so yeah so what sort of equipment and things to blend that i don't know i was a real fan of kind of bringing the metal sound into the modern era uh again i didn't want it to be like a 80s thrash metal um kind of tribute band sort of thing so uh i, I explored a lot of like extended range guitars taking it down to seven string and then an eight string and then then a, finally a nine string just for stupidity, stupidity. <laughs> And, you know, just trying to get these sort of more interesting sounds. So that way you still have a guitar, right? And everybody can go, oh, that's a guitar. That's cool. That's got my aggressive thing. Yeah. But it sounds a bit different. It's not a six-string guitar playing thrash metal riffs from the 80s. It's some, it's something a little bit more modern. It's a little bit heavier. It's it's bigger and bolder and lower and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, that was all that sort of stuff. Um, a lot of big amps and things. Um, I, yeah, I don't know, man. There's so much equipment and gear and things like that. <laughs> yeah, I saw some of the videos, man. You had some crazy stuff going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah. Um, I mean, the the key, though, I think personally, though, like to 
to blend the, the kind of electronic elements and the, the I guess, metal elements, um, the key really for me is in the groove, right? You have to have yeah. an overall arching groove where all of those things lock into. Um, the naff way of doing it is where you have drums playing one thing and bass playing one thing and then guitar playing like some boring riff. And then over the top of that, you have some synth arpeggio, right? And it's just, it's so naff and like 90s to me. So the key, I think, is to try and find a, a nice central groove that you can tap your foot to. And the guitar supports some elements of the groove. Yeah. The synth supports other elements of the groove. The drums support different elements of the groove, whatever. But when you line all of these things up together, they become one song, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get what you mean, yeah. Now, as a guitarist myself, I have to ask, the use of the nine-string guitar, had you played one before or did you just pick one up for this and go, whoa, this is weird? Yeah, no, I had a... Um... I just got one just for the sake of trying it out, just to see what it was like. Um, I hadn't played one before. Uh, I've had an eight string for a couple of years, uh, Mayonnaise uh, eight string, which I love, absolutely nice. adore. And I was trying to tune the eight string down further. Uh, I have my eight string tuned usually to a, an F sharp on the bottom, but sometimes I take it down to an E. And a lot of the tracks in Doom are in D because D is for Doom, right? Uh, <laughs> nice. No other, reason, no other reason. And when I started taking the eight string down to the D, it was just too low. It was like not quite, quite cutting it, right? Yeah. So uh, the idea behind the nine string was to try and get some sort of guitar representation with solid low notes, so you can get that D, that C sharp, that B, and I actually took it all the way down to A. Oh wow! Um, nice. Which is an A below the B on a five-string bass. That's Whoa. how low. Which is stupid. It's absolutely stupid. There's no reason for it. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's probably very flappy by that point, you know. Yeah, yeah it's actually not so bad because I mean the string itself is pretty solid. Right, but yeah. what I find is that your stock guitar pickups aren't able to magnetize as well. They're not able ah. to pick up the note as well. So the string itself might feel okay, but the, the actual tone of the note. Now, when I say tone, I don't mean like guitar tone as in other guitarists talk about. I'm actually saying that the note itself wasn't really coming through that well. So, um, so the trick I kind of figured out was to tune the nine string. This is how stupid it is, right? <laughs> the nine string was tuned from lowest to highest. Uh, a, D, A, D, A, D, G, B, E. Wow. So it sounds like stupid, right? And, uh, and it is pretty stupid. But the idea of that is that you've got three octaves on a single fret. So because you've got A, D, A, D, A, D, those three A's and those D's are an octave apart each time. Yeah. So you've got like three octaves on a single fret, which is really, really useful for definition of, of a note. Sorry, dude, I'm getting like super technical on the guitar. No, stuff no, here. I mean, man, I'm loving it. So, you know, apologies to anyone out there who isn't big on guitar stuff. But <laughs> um, Now, it's, it's kind of different between composers, whether they do or they don't. But did you listen to any other music to influence it? Or did you just focus exactly on what you were doing? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really listen. Like, I don't even listen to metal and stuff like that. I'm not I'm not like a big metalhead or anything. I don't don't listen to that sort of stuff. Um yeah, not really, man, to be honest. Um, I don't get a chance to. I don't really get a chance to listen <laughs> <Yeah>. to music. <laughs> um, my embarrassing, uh, I don't know, secret to you, I guess, is that, you know, the music that I do listen to when I might head to, I don't know, go for a jog or go to the gym or something like that, um, is like the polar opposite to video it's games. It's not like J-pop, it is, like the, is it? Like... <laughs> no, it's not, it's not quite J-pop, but it's like, it's the most kind of like teeny bopper pop music you could you could find, right? It's like absolute top forty stuff. 
Um, so Taylor Swift and all that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I love it because I mean the the production on that sort of stuff is is incredible, right? So yeah. I love listening to it for that sort of thing. But no, I'm not rocking out to metal or anything, man. I think the last metal album I bought was probably like like could be considered metal. Um, would have been a Dream Theater tr- album, probably nice, six right degrees, then. probably six degrees, I think. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah. Now speaking of production, um, did you do all the production yourself on this album? Yeah, 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 pretty much. I had some, I had some contributors as well. So um, I wor- I've worked with uh, Richard Devine in the past on Wolfenstein, nice. and uh, got Richard to to work on this one as well. And dude, he is amazing. He is absolutely incredible. And the way I like to work with Richard because he's such a an unstoppable creative artistic force, I want to get in that in that in the way of that as least as possible. Yeah. So what I do with Richard is I send him a bunch of like concept art and pictures. Okay. And then I send him some concepts, some word concepts. So for Doom, it was uh, evil energy. And uh, I can't remember what I sent to him, but it's like, you know, like, I don't know, electromagnetic horror and stuff like this. Yeah. And, that's, and that's all I sent. And then Richard goes away for like two or three months and he records and makes all these amazing sounds and stuff. And then sends me back like a whole library of cool stuff that I can kind of play with uh, and work it in there. So, yeah, it's super, super cool, man. Awesome. And did you, I mean, how did you approach the production side in terms of the, the mixing and the mastering and stuff? Yeah. Like in, in terms of like approaches, general approaches and stuff or. Well, I guess more like, like um, or... you know, yeah, like some, some of the little nitty gritty bits of how you got it so punchy and how you got it to sound so polished. Yeah, sure. Sure. So, um, uh, my, my mentor and, and great teacher in the world of video game sound is, uh, the amazing Charles Deenan. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I've kind of worked, uh, under Charles for, for many, many years, um, on the need for speed franchise and a bunch of different trailers and stuff. And working with Charles, Charles has a very, very definitive style, which is, um, distorted and heavy and loud and punchy, but clean. Now, when yeah. I say clean, I'm not talking about distorted versus clean. I'm talking about tidy. Yeah, and it's intelligible. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can have this absolute wall of sound coming at you, but there's always definition. There is always character. Yeah. Uh, and it's always controlled, even though it sounds absolutely huge. And so that's what I try to go for in my own stuff as well. I try to have this really distorted, heavy, loud, punchy sound, but not mush and not mess and not white noise and stuff like that. You need to be able to hear every note. You need to hear the musical content and stuff like that. Now, how do you do that? Of course, there's no like single plug in that or any of that sort of thing. But the approach is, is to always have that concept in your mind. So I have that idea of how I want that kick drum to sound or how I want that hit to sound or how I want that guitar tone to sound or whatever. I have that idea in mind. And then I'll use any combination of EQs, compressors, outboard gear, distortion, whatever it might be to get that. And it's, there's never a singular approach to it. So I might start with a kick drum and I'll go, well, the kick drum's a little bit lackluster. Uh, I usually run it through a chain of hardware to begin with. And it's no, no like crazy secret boxes at that stage or anything. It's usually just a couple of EQs, a preamp, a compressor or something. And unless it was just to try and give it some sort of character so it doesn't sound like a boring kick drum. Um, Then I'll kind of reassess and I'll go, okay, well, do we have that transient? Is that transient coming through? If that transient isn't coming through, then I'll I'll work on that. Once I've got that transient, I go, well, am I getting the thud? Am I getting that sort of 100 hertz uh, thud in the chest? 
And then that sort of, you know, 60 down to 20 hertz or whatever, as low as you want to go, that sort of boof that's coming as well. Is that there as well? If it's not there, I'll work on that. If I've got a nice transient and a nice sort of thud, um, then I'll concentrate on getting the character. And that's usually when I start kind of introducing distortion sort of elements or uh, different parallel processing, whatever it might be. It might even just be layering different sound effects and things over the top. Um, but the key with that is the more stuff you add, you've got to really focus on keeping the shape of the kick drum. Because if you just keep compressing it and keep distorting it and things, what you'll end up with is essentially white noise after a while. Yeah. Um, so it's always just basically taking it, doing a little bit, and then checking it back against that sound that you have in your head. And then reassessing it and thinking, okay, well, what does it need now? And then going back and back and forth, back and forth. It's a very long, arduous process. It takes a long time. As I said, there's no sample libraries that do this stuff. There's no plugins uh, <laughs> that do this stuff. This stuff doesn't come off the shelf. So it's so funny when people are like, hey, dude, what samples do you use? And I'm like, <laughs> it's not. It's like it's hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of tweaking. Yeah, man, definitely. Like, oh, yeah, just kind of like slot it in, right? You know, you just kind of like drop and drag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's weird about that too is once you have that kick drum for that track, you can't just grab that kick drum, throw it in your own library, and then reuse it for something else because – Often I'm tweaking things based on the tempo of the song, yeah. right? So my, the release of my compressor is releasing so it allows the air to breathe and then smack back in when that kick drum hits the second time. So it's all based on the tempo of the song. Um, all my EQ choices in things are always based on the, the key of the song as well. So if I'm boosting um, a low-end frequency in my kick drum, I'm always boosting it at whatever the tonic is, for yeah. example. Uh, and stuff like that. So everything is really tidy. It is literally like the most pedantic sort of stuff. But every one of those little decisions makes a difference in the end. Oh, yeah, it makes a huge difference. And I think what you're saying is 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 so true. Like you can't just kind of make some presets and then use them on everything from then on because you like right. the kick drum sound. Because it's like with most music, everything changes from track to track, and you're gonna have so much different frequency content and and all sorts yeah. depending on what instruments you've got and everything. So I think it's a very good point to take away. Is is you know you have to spend the time. I think it's the key point there. You can't just kind of look for a quick fix. Mm. The other thing is too, is like, I, I kind of feel that, look, these things are, this is Doom, for example, right? This is a big, big thing. This is a big game. This is very important. In software, one of those really great companies, you know, that's that's a big name right there. So if I was just to grab like sample libraries off the shelf, layer them together and then send it off and go, hey guys, there's <laughs> I mean, I'd be doing them, the world, that franchise and history a disservice by yeah. doing that, so that's the reason that you, you take the time for this stuff, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Now, talking about spending time on something, I have to ask about the uh, the subliminal messaging, for, for want of a better word, in the, uh, the spectrographs, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the 666 and the pentagrams, like, did you just draw that in? Or you know, what, what happened there? You're the first person to ask about this. This is really, really funny. Yeah, this is the first time I've, I've kind of talked about it, really. Um, so... You know, I guess it's important to say, look, there is no, it's not meant to be satanic, you know, <laughs> hidden imagery or any of that sort of stuff. I'm not trying to corrupt anybody's minds or any of that sort of stuff. Um, it's completely innocent. Uh, it is literally one number repeated three times and then a funny looking, you know, star upside down or whatever. Oh, yeah, I found it great. I thought it was fun. It's it's just an image, right? The game itself is set in hell. There's, there's pentagrams and all that sort of stuff. So I wasn't meaning to offend or upset anybody by doing that. 
literally I had the track and I had this bass part that was like bass, 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 and then a different bass. And I went, Hey, maybe I could put like an image or something over the top of that just for laughs. And it was literally something that took five minutes and it was meant to be something that people would never find. And, uh, just in there as my own kind of internal joke. Yeah. Like a little Easter egg kind of thing. Yeah. It was kind of a throwback to, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, um, and, and those hidden messages that people believed were in black Sabbath music. (laughs) Then the whole eighties thing with like the Nancy Reagan, um, uh, sort of, you know, uh, clean and wholesome sort of thing and how music was corrupting youth and all this sort of thing. And I mean, there were so many amazing musicians that were literally called before Congress in the eighties and things to, to justify their music. And I thought, isn't that such a fascinating thing? You know, it's, and that's in recent memory. It's pretty extraordinary. I could never imagine being dragged before Congress to justify some work that I've done. Right. It's just such a crazy, wouldn't it? I know exactly. Right. So, um, so it was really just that it was kind of like a little hat tip to that sort of stuff. Um, then the game came out and then some really clever people managed to crack open the wise files and pull out all the music and put it all up online. And, um, by that stage we, we hadn't had a soundtrack out or any of that sort of stuff. And, um, some kid, you know, likes to listen to music with a spectrogram running. Who knew? <laughs> and, you know, this, this, this kid seen this thing and put it up onto Reddit. And before we knew it, it was like number one on Reddit and things like that. And it became this big news item and things. And I mean, it's kind of fun in, in some regards, but in some regards, it's not kind of fun as well because you don't want that one thing to be like the memory of the Doom soundtrack oh, or anything. Not, no. sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a bit of fun. It's just yeah, a bit. Of... I thought it was just a nice touch, really. I thought it was right. like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, cool. I didn't think, oh, it's right. Mick's trying to corrupt the youth. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Um, you asked how I did it. It's, um, uh, I use Harmer. I, I really love FL Studio for uh, sound design and stuff like that. And I used Harmer for that. And Harmer, you can do all sorts of cool things with Harmer. But one of the cool things you can do is drag in an image and then use that to change a couple of different parameters. It could be volume. It can be phase. It can be uh, uh, frequency content and things. Um, and it's pretty easy. What happens is you drag and picture in and then you push a key and there it is. It's, it's really, really simple. Okay. So I didn't draw it in in uh, you know some uh, spectral editor or any of that sort of thing. Um, it's it's it, it's something that literally took about five minutes. It was kind of funny. Yeah, that's really cool. I bet you didn't expect it to just kind of take off at all. <laughs> yeah, no, really. yeah, but what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whoops. Oh, that's all right. It's all good. Everyone loved it, I think, anyway. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you know, there's, I was always a big fan of I know Trent Reznor's done it before and Affix Twins done it before with his face and pictures of cats and stuff like yeah, that, yeah. too. So. And they're kind of fun. And I wanted to do something different to like just the boring old um, like reverse uh, vocals and stuff like that, which people pick up pretty quickly. Yeah. So cool, man. Well, it, it overall sounds like a really, really fun project to work on. Um, do you have a kind of highlighted moment for you? Is there a moment that's your kind of proudest moment on Doom? Um, gosh, man, that's a really good question. You know, usually when you start these projects, it's literally like, you know, full on solid all the way through and you yeah. really don't get a chance to kind of get your head up, um, you know, to take a breath or any of that sort of stuff. So um, the whole thing's a bit of a blur, to be honest. It's pretty solid. Um, usually, I mean, the, the great moment is when you start seeing people enjoy the game. And what's great now is that I was sitting here working on an unrelated project um, and Doom just came out. And it came out in Australia like a few hours before it came out in the U.S. 
And uh, I was here pulling another all-nighter working on, on something else. I can't even remember what it was now. Um, and in, in between sort of, you know, working on stuff, I was jumping on Twitch and checking out some people playing through, um, playing through the game. And that was oh, really nice. cool. And, um, you know, when you're watching somebody playing it on Twitch and they start like popping their head to the music and I'm like, oh man, that's cool. You know, that's like, it, it means that it's worked and that's always a good thing. It's like, you know, you've spent all afternoon, you know, cutting up the onions and cutting up the carrots and then you've put all the food in the pot <laughs> and you set the table and you put it out and then people sit down, they enjoy the meal and they get what you're trying to do. And that's, that's kind of always a cool moment for sure. Um, yeah. what other moments I have a, an embarrassing, I don't know. An embarrassing moment. I was at GDC a couple of years ago and I saw John Romero and I'd just done Wolfenstein and I ran up and I was like, oh man, I've got to, I've got to meet John Romero. Like it's so cool, right? It's, it's such a cool guy. Yeah. And so I came down and, and there he was with his amazing like huge head of hair that he has. And, and I said, oh, John, 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 John. And he turned around and man, it was like, I don't know. It was like I was a 12 year old boy talking to <laughs> the first time. I just got so nervous and I couldn't get a single word out and completely embarrassed myself. It was kind of funny. Oh, so, excellent. Uh, yeah. You got to love those moments. <laughs> man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, every composer has their own style, whether they, they you know, they intentionally do it or not. And, and yours is obviously recognizable throughout different projects. But how how would you say that each project has differed so far? So like say Wolfenstein um, with Killer Instinct and then Doom, what would you say, if you could describe each one in a word, for example, that kind of defined them, what was like the yeah, different cool. modus operandi there? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that obviously are trying to avoid style, right? The moment people start saying, oh, you've got a recognizable style, I'm like, oh God, I've got to be, you uh, know, whoops. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I'd, li I'd like to think that the style is the overall approach to each individual project as a specific individual thing. Yeah. So I'm not going to take everything that I learned on Doom, for example, and apply that to the next project. The next project goes straight back to square one. And we, we go through that whole process again of trying to find the sound of whatever that game is. And um, I like to try to make that my, my style for each project, whatever it might be. It's something specific that can only belong to that project. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but anyway, sort of getting back to your question, obviously doom is a very upfront, it's a very aggressive, it's very distorted. It's very, um, irregular. Um, it's very, um, uh, sort of like, um, I don't know, cerebral, like attacking your face type of thing. Um, you can't see me now, but I'm like waving my hands in front of my face. Why? <laughs> so that's that. Um, yeah, Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein is Wolfenstein exists in a really interesting universe because it's an alternative timeline that is kind of set in the '60s. So you have a lot of the kind of um, sonic changes that happened with '60s recording equipment, without the uh, freedom of civil rights and 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 that sort of thing. It's it's oppression and and horribleness and stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah, Wolfenstein. Pretty much, we have two themes. We have like the the resistance theme, uh, which which we call it, which is for uh, the main character BJ and Anya and uh, the characters there, and that's that's a very sort of acoustic, broken, simple, basic. Uh, memorable, folky type of sound. Uh, if there is any hint of of 60s rebellion, it's in their music, that there. <laughs> um, then we have on the opposite end is the, the Nazi regime, which is all about uh, irregularity and distortion again and uh, and heaviness and, uh, and and insanity and craziness and things like that. In The New Order, the main bad uh, guy, Death's Head, uh, his theme is literally distortion. I just lined up a whole bunch of different distortion pedals and I didn't even run anything through them. I just ran the pedals themselves and recorded oh, that. Wow. And then 
that stuff became Death's Head's theme. So when he's doing his horrible uh, uh, dissection and things of human bodies and stuff, that's just this horrible distortion noises that are happening from these guitar pedals and things. So, yeah, so that's that's that one. So, yeah, Wolfenstein is a very, uh, very, um, uh, I don't know, it's a very... Um, it's a very serious, I'd say. It's yeah. a lot more serious. Doom, for example, Doom, Doom, <laughs> yeah. fun. Um, and then Killer Instinct. Killer Instinct's an interesting one because it was all about trying to find melodies and music and things that people could listen to and identify with um, those iconic Killer Instinct characters, uh, which have been around for twenty years at that point. Um, and then creating music that the player doesn't mind listening to for long periods of time. So there was a lot of work that went into trying creating songs that were very interesting for people to, to listen to um, with, you know, verse structures and chorus structures and melodies and vocals with some of them and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I should totally come up with like some easier ways of explaining each project than that because it's probably very confusing. <laughs> Not at all. No, it's good stuff. It's nice that you go into a bit of detail for it. Right. <laughs> I, uh, like i try to for every single project come up with a singular word a single word that represents all music within that and we spend so much time just trying to find whatever that single word is and i don't mean that like that single word is like metal or something like that right no, it's not a, yeah. it's a word that kind of you um you can associate with the game and everything you know comes back to that so with doom believe it or not it was distance the word was distance oh, okay uh, in that you go from being very, very far away, um, you're on Mars, you're very far away from Earth, um, you go to hell, which is very far away from, uh, you know, um, uh, our plane, I guess. Um, and then you're very up close to the demons. So this this exchange of distance was yeah. kind of something we explored, right? So, yeah, so distance with that. Uh, Wolfenstein was just distortion. It wasn't really a, a huge thing, but everything is distorted in some way. And I don't just mean like distorted as in an effect. Uh, I mean, every little bit is kind of broken or not yeah, right. Course. I mean, even the history is distorted. And Exactly, man. That's exactly what we said. Yeah, that's exactly what we said. Um, and Killer Instinct was an interesting one because each character needed their own theme. So uh, we came up with a different word for each character. That makes sense with a fighting game. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to remember some of them now. Gosh, it's been such a while ago. Um, Sidira was alluring. I remember that. Saberwolf is lunatic. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember them. It was quite a while ago now. So, yeah. So, that's what I'm trying to do. But anyway, the idea is that you do all this research, right? So, when I'm doing Wolfenstein, I'm not just sitting down and playing the old Wolfenstein games. I'm watching as much as I can about, uh, you know, the Nazi regime and reading as much as I can. I'm experiencing as much of that as I can. I go and speak to as many people as I know who might have had something to do with that period or whatever. Um, even with Wolfenstein, I was in the army at the time. And so, there's that whole, uh, you know, what happens if, if, you know, if there was a Nazi regime similar today and being called up with conscription and things like this. Oh, so, wow. You're in the army. Mm, yeah, so you look, I go complete like deep dive into this creative uh, stuff, right? And the idea of that is that you can find the absolute center a lot easier. Yeah. So what I mean is if I just went back and played the original Wolfenstein games, my creative cloud that I'm drawing upon is very narrow. Whereas if I do all that sort of research, huge amounts of research, I can actually find the center, the average, a lot easier, right? Yeah. Um, and so with that, we try to whittle that down, distill it down to a single word, a single word that kind of rep represents everything. Yeah, which is uh, obviously quite tricky to kind of sum everything up in one one single word. 
Right. And it's weird. Obviously, these things are evolving too, right? I mean, it's easy at the end of the project to look back on it and go, yes, of course, that was it. But when you're doing it, you have no idea. Absolutely no idea. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, something like Doom, that, that's just something that evolved over those 18 months. When we sat down, it wasn't like sat down and came up with whatever the ending sound was on that, on that first day. Literally, the, the final sound of Doom happened in the final few hours before we shipped the project. So. Oh, wow. Mm. So it can be right up to the hilt then. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, in the world of game audio, you can't usually say too much about what's coming up next. But can you tell us anything about what you're working on at the moment? Um, not really. I have a whole bunch of projects. I'll probably talk about a couple of them. So um, Prey was just shown off at uh, Gamescom and things yep. like that. So you would have heard uh, some some new music in there, which is kind of cool. Uh, got to do those trailers and stuff as well for that, which was pretty fun. Awesome. Um, I have a couple of other projects that are kind of unannounced at this stage. Um, the big one that I'm really having a lot of fun with at the moment, and we're so close to being finished up, is a tiny little indie game called Routine, which is so much fun. And okay. when I say tiny little, when I say tiny little, what I mean is that it's a mammoth task, and we've been working on it for years now. And um, the goal with Routine was to make a AAA quality game with uh, no money and four people. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that, that's a lot of fun. And that's been a real passion project for many years. I mean, I started working on Routine about the same time as Wolfenstein, The New Order. So, um, yeah, it's really, really fun, man. It's uh, you kind of you're, you uh, arrive on this moon base and uh, nobody's there and you've got to figure out why. And that's basically it. So there's a couple of trailers and things out for it now, which are, which are really cool. And they've been out for a couple of years now. Um, but, yeah, we're real, literally in the kind of final throes of getting it ready to ship it out into the world. So it's really, really uh, scary and, uh, and kind of fun and exhilarating at the same time. So, uh, yeah, so it's super fun, man. Yeah, sounds awesome, man. We're looking forward to hearing more of your stuff. Mm. So I've got a fun question to finish off with now. Okay. If you could hang out with anyone in the world at all, alive or dead, who would it be? <laughs> That's a really good question. You know, I, man, that got so really good. I've, I've been so lucky to <laughs> meet some really, really cool people and hang out with some really, really awesome people um, already uh, with different projects and things. Um, and it's 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 difficult because you know each person that you meet has a completely different outview on on their musical career or whatever it might be. Yeah. But we're all sharing this one thing, you know, um, which is that that joy of music. And everybody's got a different way that they came to it, and different philosophies and where they want to take it and things like that. Um, and it's been great, you know, you know, doing some of these video game projects and things, and having the opportunity to. Uh, sometimes work with and then sometimes meet some of these really exceptional people. And that's been, been really, really cool. Um, but just to, just to answer your question, man, probably one, for me, it'd be Jimi Hendrix for sure, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say to him? <laughs> I wouldn't say. I'd sit and listen. You'd just sit there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just listen to him talk and play anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been absolutely great having you, Mick. Thanks for joining us today. And we're going to listen up some more of your awesome stuff soon. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me, buddy. Take care. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Sound Architect podcast. We really appreciate that. And we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Dehumanizer 2 by the guys at Krotos. Fantastic piece of software. And we hope that you join us again soon.